everybody. Welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we are going to talk a little bit about finding yourself as a musician, which is a topic that we've talked a little bit about before. But today specifically, we're going to be talking about why do we still make music after such a crazy, crazy year and a lot of introspection about our industry? Like, why are we personally still pursuing music? And we're going to talk about some ways that you can explore why you might still be making music or why you might be moving away from making music. And this is just an episode to to dig a little deeper before we jump back into another round of audition seasons and all of that. Yeah, I think we get so caught up in just kind of like the natural ebbs and flows of our industry, the natural calendar of auditions and schools and summer programs and competitions that like we don't always take the opportunity to check in with ourselves and ask ourselves, how are we developing artistically? Like, why do we make music? What does it mean to make music? And what is it exactly that we are hoping to share? So we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that side of being a musician and all that comes with that package but before we jump into that we have just one announcement and that's that you know if you enjoy our podcast and have been listening to us for a while if you're not already make sure that you're subscribed on spotify and apple podcasts or wherever you listen to so that you never miss an episode if you like our content please consider leaving us a review on apple podcasts If you listen to podcasts, you probably get this little invite all the time. And it's actually super, super helpful for us as podcast creators. It helps people find us and it helps us chart. Leave us a review. We would definitely really appreciate it. And we'll read it on the podcast. Please. We beg of you. It's been months. (laughs) It's just so funny. It's so cute because we get so many DMs that would be the perfect review. You know what I mean? Like the nicest DMs of like, we love your podcast, yada, yada. Like it held me in this way or I learned this for the first time. And it's like, we love chatting with you guys. And then I always like, I'm like, oh, that would make such a good review. <laughs> that would have been like the perfect thing to post on Apple Podcasts. So maybe write a review and copy and paste it and DM it to us also. So <laughs> Maybe. 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 That would be awesome. If you're a real homie. <laughs> <laughs> slide into those DMs, but also slide into those reviews, please. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about why we're still making music. And I wanted to do this topic because I've been talking to a lot of musician friends lately. Some of us who are diving back into looking to work as a musician and some people who are moving on from considering music as a career and taking it on more as a personal passion. And I think at the heart of all of those things is why do I still want to make music? And for whom do I still want to make music? But I think for classical musicians, especially, it is important to know yourself as a musician because classical musicians, we work off of so much tradition and common practice and we have so much. We are not like popular musicians in that we don't write our own music and we don't make music necessarily for our own purposes. We are not in control of a lot of the music we make. Right. And that can make it very easy for us to continue on a path without actually assessing where we are and thinking about the kind of art we're making and whether our art is reflective of us and what we want to put into the world or if it's just predictable, good old, traditional, whatever. Because so much of it is laid out in front of us. But at the end of the day, we want to be ourselves as artists and we also want to know ourselves. And individuality is what makes art worth making. Like sharing whatever distinct view that you have on the character and the music that you make is what makes it fun to watch. Even if I may not agree with your interpretation. 
Yeah. And it's what makes us stand out in auditions. And it's what makes us like the music we make because it's what makes us like ourselves. Yeah. And individuality in classical music looks like or can look like so many things. You know, it can be as simple as getting really fun headshots, getting headshots that you feel really express you. It can be, you know, as simple as, you know, maybe including and incorporating a little bit of color into your resume, you know, a little pop of color somewhere. Maybe it's the type of jumpsuit that you wear to your auditions. Maybe you wear like a velvet suit to your auditions. Like maybe you explore things outside of the regular opera canon. Like maybe you're like me and love Spanish art song or maybe you're super into Czech folk songs and you incorporate that as your identity as an artist like there are really cool ways to bring individuality to the table that isn't always going to necessarily be so revolutionary that you're like ah am I going to be cast like what people want to work with me but even if you are like totally outside the box cool these are good things to know about yourself I think that's the thing about being a classical musician that's so tricky like if you are and this isn't to say like being a musician outside of classical is easy But you can find your niche in other places a lot easier. Like if you want to put your music on TikTok or Spotify and share it, like eventually you'll find your audience. And it's a little harder in classical music to do that. And I think what that leads to is a lot of us playing to our teacher's desires, to our director's desires, to our perceived idea of what our audience wants from us. Because these are pieces they may have heard before. But I challenge you personally as an artist to consider that the audience has no clue what they want not a single clue and i'm not saying they're stupid i'm just saying they don't know what they want have you ever been in a group of people and been like i'm hungry and then somebody goes what do you want to eat and nobody can answer the question (laughs) and you're all just waiting for someone to please suggest something so you can at least shoot it down or say yes and you're probably gonna say yes because it's not worth the fight (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding you mean the daily struggle i have with my own self (laughs) But people want to be surprised (laughs) and they want to be let in on a secret and they want to be given something, even if they aren't going to like it. Like, imagine walking into a room with Yo-Yo Ma and Yo-Yo Ma asks you, how would you like me to play this? That would be the worst thing. I don't want anyone to ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) And your audience doesn't want that from you. But you don't know what you have to offer until you know who you are and you've started to figure out what you're good at and what you like and what you're what some of your things are yeah it allows us to not only be better for ourselves and be better mental health wise and be better artists but it also helps us to be better performers yeah definitely i think the first question that's like really good to ask yourself as we enter this next period of time is who do i make music for (laughs) and i think this is honestly a really weird question it's a difficult question to answer as a classical musician because some people started doing music for their parents you know a lot of classical musicians start so young that it's not really a conscious choice yeah and then at some point you either started making music for yourself or you kept doing music because it was what you had always done or maybe you did music because somebody told you were you you were good at it once and you never stopped so i think it's important to pause and question like right now in your life who are you making music for? And I think that answer can change, but it's also important that to some degree you do make music for yourself. Yeah. And that's not really like self-indulgent in any way. It's, and even if it is like, who cares, but it is important to know who you make music for because, you know, you want to find that 
audience. You want to find those people, that ideal audience that you want to surround yourself with and that you want filling your recital halls or, um, you know, that are coming to support you and see your operas. So it is important to kind of narrow the focus and figure out who that demographic is. Yeah. And I think it's also okay and it's time for a lot of us to let go of the people we feel like we owe our music making. You don't owe your old teacher or your parents or whoever funded your college degree, whether or not it was you. You don't owe those people staying in music. And the more we work off of that sense of guilt, the worse it gets. Oh, yeah, that does not go away. That will only get way worse with time. But also, like, you just have to let go and forgive yourself for whatever you're holding on to there. Because you can't make music from that place. It will it will only serve to slow you down. You have to be careful, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, about music overtaking your identity. Music is a part of you. It is not all of you. You are a flesh and blood, you know, three-dimensional person in the universe. You have much to contribute. You have many talents. You have many strengths. You have many weaknesses. You have many different things about you that change how you interact with the world and make you you aside from music outside of music you'd be shocked by how many professional like popular musicians had other careers and things like brian may from queen has like a phd in astrophysics i love that um there's another forget if it's like rage against the machine but one of them has like a degree in poli sci from harvard like You're allowed to have other things. And if you never made music again from this day forward, you would be just as worthwhile as a human. Yeah. And the people in your life who have loved you as a musician will still love you. I'm betting that a lot of times, with the exception of those occasional family members at holidays, most people, when they see you or go to lunch with you, do not ask you to sing or play for them. (laughs) Hopefully not. You are valued as a person. Yes. But I think some people lose that. Like, they are... Like, the friends we make as musicians and, like, the people we are musicians to, like, they like you because you are you, not because you play an instrument or you sing. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something that we can talk about a little bit more honestly, like, musician to musician as well. Because I think there is that kind of hesitance to believe that some of your relationships and friendships with other people is dependent on the fact that you are a musician or you were a musician or you're both musicians or that you're both trying to make a career. And it's kind of like, well, if that relationship falls apart because you decide to pursue music in some different fashion or not at all, then that relationship probably wasn't strong to begin with. Yeah. Any relationship that falls apart because of something like that just wasn't necessarily built on the kind of things that make friendships last but also i just want to say like when i when i started bartending uh i had a real stupid big ego and i really struggled with people thinking i was just a bartender because i had a stupid ego (laughs) (laughs) and so a lot of times i would catch myself at the bar mentioning that like i've been to college like i have a master's degree blah 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 blah. but i realized i was being incredibly rude (laughs) to the people i worked with who had been bartenders for decades, who were smart and lovely and interesting and funny and no less worthwhile than I was because they didn't have the degrees I do. Sure. And when I recognized how much I valued the people I worked with, even though I was clearly trying to differentiate myself from them, I started to recognize that I didn't have to prove things like that to people. And I think if you decide to leave music or you 
move away from being a working musician or whatever it is, like you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You love the people in your life who aren't musicians and people will love you just like that. Recognize the way you value other people and allow yourself to value yourself that way. Yeah, definitely. So tying it back to, you know, who do I make music for? Here's a tangible example. If you if your passion is new music and that's your groove, that's your drive, then you probably want to be making music for people who actually like new music, right? <laughs> um, so you might want to be surrounding yourself with more, you know, new music lovers, appreciators, um, new music makers and getting into that side of the music spectrum versus doing, you know, summer programs or competitions that are super Mozart heavy or super Puccini heavy. And if you just keep in your route and in your preferred niche, your audience will find you. You'll start to make those connections, not only with other musicians, but with, you know, people who just love to consume music. So figuring out who do I make music for? Who do I want to make music for? When I finish my recital and I go out into my audience, who are the kind of people that I want to be surrounded by? It's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to uh, figure out about yourself because it can kind of help clarify, you know, your path or the people that you choose to network with in the future. So out of curiosity, Michelle, who do you make music for? I almost would rather answer this next question first (laughs) and then come back to that. Yeah. (laughs) I've been swerved. (laughs) I'm like, I hear your question and I say, no, thank you. (laughs) I hear your question and I'm not answering. (laughs) All right. Well, why do you make music? This has actually been a very interesting question that has been on my mind for now about two years, pretty much since I graduated with my master's degree. And it's very interesting. I'll give you just like a little, a personal life update. I have always felt like music was this overwhelmingly positive thing in my life. Like just brought so much clarity. It brought so much purpose and joy and like really fun challenges in my life, which is why like, because I had planned to do, to go into like a more sciencey field before I was just like, yeet, music. And then just did like a hard left. And it's so, it's been really interesting because I think for the first time, maybe like a year and a half ago, that overwhelmingly positive narrative has switched into something that has been like more overwhelmingly stressful and less joyful. And it was just kind of an interesting thing to kind of navigate because I was definitely thinking like, do I want to pursue music? Yes. What does that look like if it's not full time? Or do I want to keep doing full time? Do I want to go into a different genre of music? And so it's been a whole interesting bubble and cloud to kind of try to navigate and maybe if you're listening you feel like you're going through the same thing but I will say that as I've done some really deep reflection I was actually I'm in the process of moving and I went and found this box filled with all these papers that I had had in my opera business course it was so interesting and it was just like such a perfect time to find it because I'm starting to feel like really positive and passionate about music again and I've kind of made that turn in the last couple months after like a year of feeling pretty negative about it and I was reading through these papers and I had so many exercises that were like what is your mission statement like why do you make music who do you make music for and I was like what a perfect time to find this so all that is to say why do I make music I make music because I know that I there are many times in my life where I needed it and I know that there are many people out there who also need it and it's that same sort of like saying where it's like you never know 
who's going to walk into your performance. You never know what they're going through. You never know whether, you know, just experiencing live music is going to be the thing that really changes their day or really inspires them to go do something that they want to do. And I love to create music for that purpose. And I also have like a very spiritual relationship with music. So I feel like as a worship leader, I also make music for the sake of community and higher purpose. But that also ties into the way that I pursue classical music or if I do like pop stuff for fun. So that's me. But I will say in my little experience over the past like 10 years of doing music, there's a natural ebb and flow of why do I make music and do I even want to make music and who do I make music for? So if you're kind of in a funk or have been in a funk or are coming out of a funk or are in the thick of the funk, (laughs) just know that things change. And exploring, you know, writing out your mission statement, even if you're like, I don't freaking know, yeah, can be a really powerful exercise to get you back on track or to clarify. If you have a, like a practice journal or something, just write why you're making music that day. Yeah. It doesn't have to be some big overarching theme in your life. It can be very simple and it'll change because it does. I think... I think the way I've felt about music changed a lot over the years that I've been a musician. Also, I just want to say your statement was beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I will not lie. It was really hard to go through like a year and a half of where I'm like, music is stressful and like not a pleasant experience for me anymore. Like, why is that? But I think it's natural. And it's been an interesting thing to... It's totally natural. But when you're in the thick of it, you put so much pressure on yourself of like, what does this say about like my capabilities to quote unquote make it? Or like, what does this say about my determination as a musician? And it's like, calm down. (laughs) You didn't go full list and become a priest, though. I did not go full list and become a priest. I should have. (laughs) I became a worship leader. Does that count? (laughs) Yes. Have you performed an exorcism? I have yet to perform an exorcism. I will keep you updated. I don't think I actually got to the heart of like why I wanted to make music until like right at the end of my grad school degree, which was hilarious and ironic because I was suddenly in a position where I couldn't do a lot of things. So didn't have access to anything. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Whatever the reason you make music is, like, just know that there isn't a right or wrong answer. Just be honest. It doesn't have to be fluffy. It doesn't have to be like, I've always been a musician and it's just who I am at my core. Like, it can be as simple as like, I just want to make beautiful sound today. Yeah, it can be really simple. It can just be like, you know, I like to sing. I like to play the violin. Like, I want to practice this piece. That's the beautiful thing about music is that it's visceral. Yeah. I want to practice this piece so that I can play it for my mom or (laughs) so I can put it on TikTok or something like that. Like, it doesn't need to be this profound, like, the purpose of life, of my life is because. Hashtag It does not have to be hashtag deep. And, you know, sometimes that's almost better day to day because, like, you're not having these profound... (laughs) like revelations you're not feeling like you've got to live out some hero's journey yeah no you're just practicing because it's fun you're just doing whatever exercises because it's fun oh my gosh that actually happened to me the other day where i was like i hadn't really listened to classical music in a while and i had been avoiding listening to arias because they had been giving me anxiety like i just did i couldn't think about classical music and then i started playing je veux vivre <laughs> While I was walking to work. Oh, what a perfect bop. It was, uh, who's the 
Soprano. Joan Sutherland. Queen. She's so good. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. And she's got like the most beautiful pianissimo. And it was funny because I was like, I want to sing this just because I like this piece. And this piece makes me laugh. And it's funny and silly and, and so bright. Yeah. And it was a nice moment to just let myself enjoy it without thinking of like, would this do well at auditions? If I do this, is it going to work in my package? And I just, I, or taking that moment to just experience joy without questioning it. <laughs> um, and another really, really, really good question is who inspires you and why? And that can actually help you answer the other two questions if you're getting a little stuck on either of them is to look at the people you really admire and what they're doing and why why does it inspire you? Yeah, this is the importance of what you just said, of like going and listening to music for pleasure, going and watching opera or concerts for pleasure. You know, there's a reason that you want to make music and, you know, that gift that you hope to give to the audience as a musician, you can receive yourself when you put yourself into the audience's position and taking time to find artists that you love, exploring that, finding new works that get you really excited. Not even like, don't even have the, oh, I want to add this to my list of music to learn. Just go out and explore and have fun and just consume as much as you can. And luckily, so much is online now that wasn't two years ago. So now's a great time to yeah. have better access to some of And it could be pieces. any artist. I love TikTok because TikTok shows me people doing really cool visual arts. Like, I would say some of the stuff that's inspired me over the pandemic, a shock to no one, Bo Burnham. I've always liked his work. But Bo Burnham actually taught me a lot about, like, because he is self-effacing, both as a comedian and as a person. A lot of his comedy is making fun of comedy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's how I feel about opera. Like, yeah, I love it. But there's also a lot that's hilariously weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. Hence this podcast. <laughs> uh, Meow Wolf, which is like a crazy artist collective who do these pop-up museums, more or less. And honestly, I got really into Tchaikovsky <laughs> during the pandemic. What an absolute great thing to get into. I'm very proud of what you. What a lineup. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, those those are the things that like when I listened to him, I was like, wow, you know what? Looking at these people making this interesting stuff makes me want to make interesting stuff. And it like looking at them like I see a theme. There are people making really new and interesting art that is meant to be experienced in a specific way. And like that's kind of what I'm drawn towards. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to make. Yeah. I make art for myself, but I also make it because I like to surprise people. Jesse likes to throw in a little something something. Give the people a little razzle dazzle. It's why I love singing behind the bar so much. Yeah. Because no one expects it. Totally. Like, I love surprise. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned from looking at the kind of art that I enjoy consuming. So if you're kind of wondering, like, well, what is my purpose? Why do I make music? You know, ask these questions to yourself. Pull out a piece of paper, pull out a post-it note, pull out your planner, and, you know, take just 10 minutes and just speed write. Speed write whatever comes to mind, stream of consciousness. Why do I make music? Who do I make music for? And who inspires me? What inspires me and why? It's a great exercise. It's simple. You cannot tell me that you don't have 10 minutes that you can set aside in a day. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, like, you cannot tell me you don't have paper. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot tell me. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um, you have that sweet papyrus on hand. Um, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. Cue me typing my uh, typing my goals, but only in papyrus font. Uh, just design jokes. No, but you can't tell me that you don't have 10 minutes to set aside. And, you know, I would say that I generally have had 
a pretty clear reason as to why I feel like I personally make music. But when I found those exercise sheets of things that I had written, you know, two years ago, I found it so interesting to see how much had changed, how much my mindset and how much of just like a different point of life I am in now out of grad school than when I was when I was taking that class. So it's really nice to just write things down. And maybe that's an exercise that you do like once a year, you know, and you can see how things change. You can see how different experiences that you've had affect, you know, your overall outlook and purpose for creating music. But take those 10 minutes, explore those questions and, uh, See what you find out. I think, too, when we talk about finding yourself and talking about what's your purpose and stuff, I think a lot of times when I used to try and figure out, you know, if somebody asked me, like, why do you make music? I kind of would have said something that looked like it could have been on a an inspirational notebook and paper source. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that to say that, like, a lot of times we we match our thoughts to what we think people want to hear. I think the most important thing that you can do as a musician is learn to trust yourself and trust your instincts and not give over into the idea of what other people think you should be, which is much easier said than done. Because for a lot of us, we get into this industry and suddenly you have a teacher who has 30 years of experience. So who are you to say what's right and what's wrong? And the problem is, is that once you've been through enough teachers who have 30 years of experience, you slowly lose your ability to assert what you think art should be. The problem with academia is that's what it kind of does to people. It says, here's a person who will tell you what's right. I'm so sorry. You mean the opera funnel? Goodbye. The opera funnel, a classic. (laughs) But it's so important that you learn to trust yourself and your thoughts and what you think is good and bad, which means if you look at an opera that a lot of people like and you're like, I think this opera is (laughs) awful, say it. Because guess what? You're not wrong. It's an opinion. Yeah. I may disagree with you. We may argue about it, but you have every right. And if you can back it up by saying what you think is bad about it, then you've done it. That's it. Yep. It is important for you to value what you think. Because at the end of the day, it's all made up. All of music is made up. (laughs) What sounds good is largely cultural. What makes sense dramatically is largely habit. This is not one of those situations where if you do it differently, someone dies. (laughs) There is not... And ab- there are not many absolutes in music. So stop caring so much <laughs> about having the right opinions. Yep. If you hate Bach, then you hate Bach. That's fine. It's, that's a wild one. That's going to be hard. But <laughs> I was like, wow, Jesse it. really started that's off gonna be so rough. strong. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, if you if you have something to say, like, a lot of the people who end up making really cool things are people who pushed it back against the people who came before them. You don't have to accept what everyone says is the golden age of music. Amen. Uh, I didn't realize how much I had already covered. And the thing is, like, when you do think about some of the artists that we admire, some of the artists who made definitive recordings and things like that, they are not people who followed the rules. And one of my favorite examples for this is Glenn Gould. (laughs) All right? Because Glenn Gould has some absolutely buckwild recordings. And he's obviously got Goldberg variations, probably his most famous recordings. And there are lots of tracks inside of there where people would vehemently disagree with the tempos he takes. He takes a lot of stuff super fast. But guess what? Nobody's going to argue with you that Glenn Gould is a good pianist. That he's a good musician. Yep. And the thing was, he came to those recordings with ideas. You may not like his humming, but it's part of what made him him. He was eccentric and strange. And one of the first 
musicians to really get into the idea of what a recording could be. Yeah, one of my favorite examples is Cecilia Bartoli. If you haven't read our, one of our more recent blog posts, uh, our writer Preston does a whole little cover on um, why he also feels similarly about Cecilia. And she's just the enthusiasm queen. Cecilia Bartoli. She really is. Does not care. Does not care one bit about what you think about her performances, the way she looks, her freaking medieval recital costumes like the funny little things that she does with her face and body like i love to see it and i know that like there are lots of people who are super bugged about the way that she moves and the way that she looks and the way that she performs but it's like it's so fun to watch i can't like when i go down a rabbit hole it's with cecilia bartoli because she's just so funny and yeah some of the stuff is like kind of whack and you're like well I maybe wouldn't personally do this but it is so much fun and there's nobody that I see that has that much joy and just like does not care and just makes music. If Florence Foster Jenkins oh. had the talent to back up her energy she would be Cecilia Bartoli. There it is. That's it. You solved like, the puzzle. If, if Florence Foster Jenkins like had the talent that she thought she had she would have been Cecilia Bartoli. Because, like, that is, she just has, like, she, you never look at her on stage and wonder if she wanted to be there or if she prepared. Like, she is there and ready, and she is so present when she performs. And some people just can't stand it. And that's fine. It's not for them. Yeah. doesn't That's not the audience that she performs for, you know? That's fine. Move along. Her breath control's insane. The way that she can move her voice is actually otherworldly. It makes no sense. It's insane. But also, there are people who would disagree with the technique that she uses to do a lot of that movement. And that's fine. They don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think they can, personally. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't even if they wanted to. So <laughs> Yeah, there are people who don't like that kind of in-and-out bounce that she does uh, to do some of her faster pieces. But she does it and it sounds great and she does it because it's her choice and she believes in it and she believes that that's how it's supposed to sound. And for so many of us, she's an absolute queen. And then there's Natalie Desai, who started as an actress and then kind of transitioned into being a singer. And one of the few people I would actually refer to as a singing actor, (laughs) which is a funny term. But she really does always put acting at the forefront of her performances which bothers some people because sometimes her voice isn't at its most beautiful because it's a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching moment. Because to her, that's how it's supposed to be performed. The emotion comes first and the beautiful voice isn't necessarily the most important thing. And I love that. I wish I had the balls to do that more. Yeah, she is such an interesting performer because she is not afraid to shy away from ugly parts in opera and I think that the way that she reflects that in her voice and in her singing is so cool but you know that there's all those critics who are like oh, Natalie say cracked on this note or it was it was a shrilly sound yada yada and it's like yeah but it was real like if that if the drama that was happening on stage were to actually happen in real life that's what it would look like yeah and all these people just have like a lot of people who would say I don't like how they do that or that's the wrong way to do that but at the end of the day, we know these names. Yeah, exactly. Natalie Desai is having no problem. Cecilia Bartoli is having yeah, no Natalie problem. Natalie is not struggling to find work. <laughs> yeah, they're doing just fine, maybe. If you ask somebody to name someone who's done a Goldberg Variations, Glenn Gould's going to be one of the first people they list. And if you ask somebody who's one of the best Baroque singers, <laughs> it's going to be Cecilia Bartoli because she's just so good. Absolutely. 
And I think the important thing to note is that you can also be one of these people. Like, this is not just, like, a category of people who just have this, like, secret talent that is not something that you can tap into. What it really comes down to is, like, taking the time to experiment and explore your own interpretations. And this has a lot to do with finding yourself as a musician and understanding why you make music. Especially in early undergrad, when you're still learning to... You're learning how to practice, when to practice, the best ways to practice. You're learning time management skills, not taking the time to experiment and explore can sometimes lead to flat performances. And this really has less to do with your music making abilities or talent and more to do with the fact that you have thoughts. Like we said, you are a living, breathing human who has unique life experiences, who has interesting thoughts. But if you don't give yourself the time to expand upon them, they're not going to translate into your performances. And we're often working under really tight deadlines, you know, especially in music school. There's just never enough hours in the day. And so sometimes that leads us to skip out on those deeper, deeper levels of exploration and interpretation when working on a rep. Because at the end of the day, we're just trying to make sure our music is learned before our lesson, right? I think anybody who's listening to this podcast has can think of a time when you have learned music for the sake of just finishing it for a deadline and all the notes and all the text and all the rhythms are correct but you have like no freaking idea or opinion about what it is you're singing we've all been there it happens to the best of us even now as professional musicians and we become stuck in the cycle of watching you know other productions and listening to other recordings and there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes we get into this mindset where we're trying so hard to replicate somebody else's thoughts we're trying to replicate we're trying to replicate somebody else's performance and that doesn't do much for us as an artist it might do something for an audience who's like oh wow that was really good but you just kind of took somebody else's opinions and thoughts and that doesn't improve the core skills that you need if you were going to do a world premiere of a role if you had a piece written for you or you just want to stand out from the crowd Having flat performances also has to do with, you know, maybe you're nervous about going against the grain. And that's okay. Maybe the way that you naturally interpret pieces is very different. And you know that. And maybe, uh, like, you know, the people at your school know that you're the person who interprets things in a different manner than many other people. Maybe your life experiences makes you see things in a different way or allows you to connect to certain roles in a deeper, um, more tangible way. Or... You know, sometimes maybe your interpretation is even just shut down and just like discarded by your teacher or coach. They're like, I see what you're going for, but that's just not it. It's so much better to go down on your own interpretation than it is to. And what I mean by that is like, it's so much nicer to walk out of an audition, even if you don't get the role, having done what you thought was good than it is to try and give somebody what they want. Because if you try to give people what they want and they don't take it anyway, You've you've given up something for nothing. Definitely. And, you know, not exploring your own thoughts, being stuck in the cycle of trying to recreate somebody else's performance or being nervous about going against the grain. These are all things that contribute to what I would call <laughs> flat performances where, you know, you've you've been to it. They sang it. It sounded great. But you don't go away thinking, wow, this gave me something to think about. Um, And at the end of the day, one of the key things that will make you stand out as a musician, that will make you stand out as an artist, is the way you interpret 
and bring your music to life. And, you know, we see another example of, of this, you know, with smaller roles in opera. Like, how often do you see the same stereotypical archetypes for roles like Zerlina or Musetta or, you know, even Mimi? Like, these characters we've just painted as boring, as these, like, stereotypes of these, like, women who are seductive or need saving or are dying and stuff like that. And you're just like, they're people, though. Mimi's one true characteristic, dying. <laughs> it really is. Just like, I'm sick and I'm sad and I'm sick <laughs> and sad. And it's like, these are real people. These, these are people who would have been alive and would have interacted with a much fuller world than what we're presented with when we look at the microcosm of what is shown to us in an opera. Yeah. And you should have ideas about what that is like don't be the person who just plays Serlina as like the little coquette seductress girl and that's it like don't play Musetta as the way everybody freaking plays Musetta except as a person whose entire package is coquettish women (laughs) I dare you but you got to bring some humanity and this can be this you do this can be said also for popular pieces and recital rep you know what I mean? When every junior in the world is giving their <laughs> recital, like invest time to adequately gather your own thoughts about how and why you want to perform a certain way. Pick stuff that's maybe like outside of the regular canon if you don't have super strict rules about what you can or can't perform in your recitals. Like collaborate with other musicians, like just really dedicating the time to allow yourself to play get weird with it and allow yourself to have fun and explore yeah the more you will find out about yourself the more you will find out about you know what do i like about this process what do i not like about this process what do i like about this type of music and what do i not like about that type of music it all just helps kind of fill out this idea in your mind of what are the ideal circumstances under which I create music? Why do I create music? Can I tell you something weird? Yes. I played Musetta as polyamorous. Ooh! Like, instead of being a cheater or just a hoe who moves from man to man, I just viewed her very much as someone who did not see being with multiple people as, like, a problem. I love it. Honestly, that's, like, probably what it actually is. (laughs) I mean, that's how she reacts. She's like, I was just dancing with that guy. Like, what's your problem? Yeah. What I'm saying is I don't think anyone in particular would be able to pull that from my performance, but it was important for me. Yeah, but even if it's not like, ooh, I think that she played Bazetta this way, I it it doesn't even matter, honestly, whether or not your audience fully picks up on the things that are going on behind the scenes in your mind. It's really an exercise for no. you. Because the nuance that it brings for you is what helps you deliver a different performance than people who have different ideas or no ideas about what playing Musetta means or looks like. That's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, well, it, it changes the act three. Act three, instead of it being Musetta gaslighting him about him being mad about her dancing with this guy, it's genuine confusion. I genuinely don't get why you're so upset about it. That's the, it's the little differences that make things. It was a, it's a weird choice to make, but it did make the difference between how I did some of those scenes. And that's the whole thing. It's like, just make interesting choices because trust me, it's way better. And trust, trust, trust yourself. Yes. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this uh, can be, I think you can find a lot of clarity uh, as an artist by finding the type of music that you really enjoy. And that seems super self-explanatory, but genuinely ask yourself once the last time you did a deep dive to find new music. 
just for the sake of having fun and not for an assignment, not for a competition, not for an audition, not for your package, anything like that, just for fun. Yeah. So (laughs) interacting with new material is super important. Learn as much music as you can. Look at works of composers you've never sung before. Look at works of composers that you love but have never heard of. Um, Check out pieces in new languages in new time periods. Um, Sometimes becoming our own musician means finding the types of music that we love and specializing in it. Because how can you ever discover your niche as a new musician if you're only ever singing Mozart? Like, what if you're a lover of early or Baroque music? I know for me, like, I don't want to be confined to what we call the big four languages in opera canon. Like, I love singing in Spanish. I love singing in Portuguese. Um, I'm working on my freaking Russian, but it's like, it's just so fun. Like, why limit yourself? Um, And all that comes down to is exploring new material. Um, And the only way really to figure out what music best suits your voice and more importantly, what makes you excited to perform is to constantly immerse yourself in new music and styles. And I think, you know, working on new pieces allows us to shake off a lot of the things that we carry with us from old lessons or bad lessons or bad performances or bad whatever. Like our, our older arias and our older art song carry a lot of memories, not all of them good. And so I think it's important sometimes to just let yourself break into a new piece of music that has none of that. Yeah, imagine uh, not <laughs> singing Aki Fus and having all the baggage that freaking comes with that aria. <laughs> Truly, I think that's an aria that's like probably scarred more sopranos than most. Yeah. Is it such a, it's such a, it's such a my first aria moment. <laughs> And that run still tricks me. Yep. <sighs> but um. <laughs> but yeah. So wherever you are in your journey right now as a musician, and wherever you are mentally with being a musician, this is just an opportunity before you jump back into things or while you're taking a break from things, to sit sit back for a little bit and just write out your thoughts. You got ten minutes. Even if you don't know. I know you got it. You got ten minutes. I know you got that time. Or if that feels like a lot, like I said, just take a daily moment to like reflect on why am I making music and who am I making it for? And, you know, do I feel like making music today? And really get back into yourself and trust yourself as a musician and as a person. Trust in your value and your thoughts um, and trust in the choices that you make, whether that's to continue music, to leave music, head down a different path in music. But just give yourself a second to drop off the weight of expectations from the industry and expectations from friends or family and really figure out who you are as a musician for yourself. This is a really fun topic to get to talk about with you guys and I know it's kind of heavy but as we head back into school and we head back into audition season I think it's really important to take a second to to assess the paths we're on and how happy we are in them and what we can do to make ourselves happier. And what we can do to make our industry better. And I think this is the perfect time to do it. So if you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, we'd love to hear them. We always love to hear from you guys. And if you're someone who wants to like talk out where you are as a musician, you're always free to contact us. Easiest place to do that is on Instagram, which is at Opera Offstage. You can also get in our Discord and talk to a bunch of musicians. You can get there through our Instagram bio. And then we also have a Facebook and a Twitter You can also contact us through our website, which is opera-offstage.com. And, you know, we're always excited to hear from you guys. Yeah, I'm super interesting. I'm super interesting. Wow. (laughs) 
I am I'm so, so interesting. Interesting, you guys. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, what I meant to say is I'm super interested to hear your guys's reason for why you make music or what your ideal audience looks like or things that you have realized about your journey with music so our dms are always open definitely feel free to come and chat with us and if you have like jesse said if you have questions and you're like i just kind of need somebody to vent to or just talk things out with like cool let us be those people for you um so this is a judgment free zone well, we're all we're all trying to figure it out together here people okay Feel free to DM us, and um, if you've been enjoying our podcast, also please leave us a review. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye! Bye! Bye.